0: This morning, we were wrapping up a series, um, and I have absolutely loved being in this series, and I've gotten to be here with you guys a bunch of it, so that has been a, a, a treat for me. Um, this month-long series, we've been talking about shame, and we know this, that shame is very heavy. It carries a great weight on all of us, and it leaves us feeling like this. We feel like um, not just I did something bad or I do bad things. It's beyond that. Shame makes me feel like that. I, I am bad. I I didn't just do something wrong. I am wrong. There's something wrong deep inside of me. That's the way it leaves us feeling. And shame is so satisfied, not getting uh, the recognition For the damage that shame does. Shame is very satisfied just being in the background out of sight in our lives and all the while um, just just, uh, running our lives and our perspective and at the same time ruining our lives. And shame is very happy to do that. Shame is happy just to kind of hang out in the basement and just impact us from the inside slowly, quietly, behind the scenes and in the basement, it's almost as if shame is down there working out the whole time. It's being quiet. It's just working out. It's pumping iron and it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger in that silence. And it is destroying us very quietly from the inside. And shame doesn't want any credit for that. Shame is just happy to do that. And here's what Message shame is trying to implant into my life. Here it is. It gives me the feeling if they know the real you, that's what it's telling you. If they know the real you, they will abandon you. That's the message that shame wants you to believe. If anyone really knows you, they're going to abandon you. So that means you have to hide from them or it means you have to fight them or it means you have to do all kinds of things to, to, so that that won't happen to you. Um, it's like we have this, uh, attendant that is there to, to meet every need that we have in life, but it's only there to meet the needs of shame. We call this the shame attendant and it's there helping us destroy our lives. And it tells us, you know what, Harley, if they know the real you, if these people know the real you, if they're around you long enough, if they look behind the curtain and see the real you, they're going to walk away and you're going to end up alone. That's what shame keeps telling me. That's what shame tells you. But we saw this in week one, that shame is a liar. Shame is not telling us the truth. Because God, in fact, does know the real me. And he knows the real you. And we saw in week one that God did not abandon us, but God came looking for us. He didn't come to abandon us. Not only did he come looking for us, but God left in place, this very special plan to help us deal with shame and to help us know how to deal with the shame attendant. And that plan is this. At the very center of God's plan, beyond what Jesus did for us, Jesus left in place this thing, this community, this this body of people that's called the church. And that church community is called to be part of the healing of this problem of shame and, the, the, and what the shame attendant inflicts upon our lives. But here's the thing. As the church, we must be tender. We talked about this last week and the week before. We have to be kind. And as the church, we have to be loving and compassionate as we walk alongside people who are hurting and people who are struggling with shame. We have to be able, as a church body, as, a, as this body called the church, we have to be able to accept everyone, regardless of what shame they're struggling with, regardless of what they bring into this room, this building in which this church meets. We have to be able to accept them and whatever they bring through this door. And here's the reason why. It's quite simple, because that's what Jesus did that's what Jesus did. Jesus went after them. And Jesus also, we know this for ourselves, he came looking for us. Jesus came looking for me. Jesus put on this flesh and blood and muscle and bone of his creation in order for him to come looking for us, to come on this side of the lens of this movie called life. And in doing so, when Jesus stepped onto this side in this flesh and bone and muscle, Jesus at the same time put on our shame. And he willingly put it on by going to the cross. Ma'am. he experienced every bit of shame that we experience. That's amazing. He willingly put on our shame. I love how the author of uh, the letter to the Hebrews, how he writes this, and, and we talked about this last week, how Jesus looked at shame and Jesus defeated shame. And there are other words that, that are used to describe it. He also scorned shame. He disregarded shame. That's what Jesus did. And by doing so, Jesus made it possible for me to not have to be controlled by shame, to not have to be driven to try to get away from shame, to not be driven by shame at all. It is possible for that to happen, but here's the reality. And hence why we had this series. It is so difficult. It is so difficult because shame, shame is heavy. It is a heavy load, a heavy burden. Shame manifests for us in different ways. Um, We experience it differently. Some of us fear rejection. We fear that, that people are going to reject us, not like us, not want to be around us, reject who we are. Some people uh, fear being marginalized, almost like they're going to be passed over. Or uh, if, they were, uh, if, if teams were being chosen, that they were going to be chosen last. Shame can make us feel that way. Shame can make us feel uh, be afraid of making mistakes. It can make me afraid and, 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 and making mistakes. It's not just that we've made a mistake. Shame gives us the feeling that we are a mistake. And for some of us, um, shame gives us a fear of failure. And it's, again, not just that I'm afraid I will fail, but shame makes us believe I am a failure. And shame is right there. Shame is right there with us all the time. And it's one of the greatest weapons that the evil one uses against us in our lives every single day. So because of that, we, we can't just pretend that shame is nothing. We can't pretend that shame is not part of life. We can't pretend that now that Jesus died and he rose again, that shame all of a sudden is powerless. Because that's not true. Shame is not powerless That's a lie. Shame is very powerful. That's the reality. And this side of heaven, here's the truth. Shame will not be powerless, this side of heaven. Because the evil one is still roaming out there. He is still free, and he's still wrecking lives every single day. Shame cycle is something that we must learn to cope with which is why we've done the previous three weeks of this series. Shame leads us, we said, to disintegrate, to disconnect. It's almost as if it dissolves into nothing, to disintegrate from other people. Our relationships disintegrate because of shame. Our relationship with God does the same thing. It disintegrates because of shame. It's evil's attempt to keep us separated from other people and to keep us separated from God. And his desire is for us to take all the evil one, for us to take all that shame and keep it quiet. Because if we say anything about it, then guess what? We're afraid that that person will leave, will abandon us, will reject us. So it leaves us thinking this. We think, you know what? I I can't admit to you my shame. Because if I admit to you my shame, this is what the evil one wants me to believe, and we have bought into that. If I admit to you my shame, then I will experience even more shame. You will know the real me, and you will abandon me, and that will bring even more shame into my life. So I cannot admit it to you. So shame just quietly stays in the basement of our lives, and it continues working out. It continues getting stronger. I don't know why I'm doing the butterfly, press, but it just seems relevant here. It continues working out and it gets stronger and it gets bigger all the while just working out in the basement and, and destroying me from the inside out. In fact, it is that disintegrated thinking that shame causes that then leads to disintegrated relationships between me and you and disintegrated relationships with God And it convinces us, it convinces us to stay away from the very people who could help bring healing to stop my shame. That is through God and this community called the church. So that's why we can't afford to be out of focus as a church. Bryce has that on the screen for us. He's going to put it on the screen, and here's why. This is one of our main points today, and we're going to have three very clear points. We can't afford to be out of focus as a church. We can't afford it. We can't afford to be out of focus because we have a task that is so large and so huge. We must stay focused. We need to be very aware of what we as a church, specifically this local body of believers combined with Stuttgart, what we are all about, our vision as a church. And we need to, I I would encourage, I'm encouraging even you, everyone that's here today to say this, that we need to understand and know how to communicate what this body called the church right here, the church of Malvern and Stuttgart Harvest Church, what? we're all about because the stakes are high and staying focused is going to be so important to us. I just want to hit pause right here for just a moment. We're getting ready to go to a verse, but I want to say, I, I, I don't know specifically where everyone is in their relationship to God this morning, but I want to, to give you a bit of a disclaimer. This morning, we're going to be talking about why it is so important that we do what we feel like God has called us to do as a church. And so if you're not yet, if you are new to following Jesus, this is a great Sunday for you to be here because you get to understand three reasons. Now, we've talked about um, in week one, two, and three, we've talked about three other, four, actually, four other reasons why we need to do what we do as a church. We talked about that in week one, two, and three. And today with week four, we're going to pick up three other very specific reasons of why we need to do what we're doing. And so if you're new to following Jesus, this is a great week. If you have been following Jesus for a little while, then this is a great week for you too. Because this will be a reminder of why we must do what we do. And if you're not yet sure if you want to follow Jesus, this is is a great week for you too. And here's why. Because you get to kind of peek behind the curtain and see what's pulling the strings of our motivation and why we're doing some of the things we're doing. And so you get a great opportunity to see some of the things that we're passionate about, about why we do the things that we do. And so no matter where you are in this journey, this is a great week for you. And so that very first reason we said this, we can't afford to be out of focus because the stakes are so high. So let's talk for just a moment about this focus thing, understanding who we are and why we do what we do. Here's a verse I want to read to you, Ephesians chapter one, verse 11. It says, uh, this is a letter that, that... Paul wrote to the church that was in Ephesus. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Man, I I, I love to to, to think about this eternity and being connected with Christ forever. Everyone who submits their life to Jesus and follows him they are in an eternal connected relationship with God. What we experience here on, on earth is just part of that. Most of our experience with God is going to be through eternity. And I love to think about that, but we're not only here for eternity. He has us right now at, on, on this timeline called earth. He has this here for a very specific purpose and 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 it is through Christ that we find out what that's all about. And he goes on, he says long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us. And he had designs on us for glorious living. And that's part of his plan for us here on this earth. Is to follow him and pursue him and, and live the life that he's designed for us, this life of glorious living. And that's today in this life right now. Uh, and then he says, it's part of the overall purpose that he is working out in everything and everyone. So really we want you to understand God has a purpose and a plan. He's got a purpose and a plan. And the very fact that you are here in this room today, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, it's very likely that that purpose is for you. And that plan is for you. He's got a purpose and a plan. And he's accomplishing that through our lives every single day. And listen to this. That is why as a church... We're not trying to do everything because we believe that God has a very specific purpose and a plan, not only for you, but for this church as well, a very specific purpose, a very specific plan. So instead of trying to do everything, here's the next thing under focus that I want you to understand. We are simply trying to do these three things as a church. Here's the first one. We are simply leading people toward intimacy with God. I'm on that journey, and we want to invite you on that journey toward intimacy, intimacy with God. Here's the second thing. We want to uh, help develop community with Christ followers, and that's what we're attempting to do through as we meet together in small groups. And then here's the third thing, to help you have influence with those who are searching In other words, we want to do our best to help you grow your love, loving kindness, uh, compassionate influence with the people who are around you, who are struggling with shame. We're doing those three things. We don't try as a church to do everything. Our goal is to try to do a few things And to do them as best as we can. To do them well. So we can't do everything. If we try to do everything. We're not going to do anything very well. I've been in the churches that try to do everything. I've been a part of them. And let me tell you. Many of the things that we have decided not to do. As the church of Malvern. And not to do at Stuttgart Harvest Church. Many of those things. And I know this sounds crazy. Many of those things we've decided not to do are actually some pretty good things, but we've decided not to do them for a very specific reason, because the stakes are so high. Here's the next point. This is the whole point about focus right here. We have chosen to pass by some of the good things so that we could grab the great and We're imperfect as we do it. We even do that imperfectly, but we're trying to do it better and better and better. So we pass by some things that are pretty good things to do in order for us to do what we feel like are the best things that we need to do. So here's a question. Have you ever personally stopped doing something that was a good thing in order for you to make room for something that was the best thing. So that's a little personal aspect of the focus. And so at the church in Malvern, at Stuggar Harvest Church, here's a question that we want to ask often, and it kind of helps us stay focused. Are we keeping next steps simple, obvious, and narrow? That's a question Cole and I ask ourselves all the time. The next step, because I believe every single one of us, no matter how new we are to following Jesus or how long we've been following Jesus or if we are still deciding if we will follow Jesus, there is a next step for us every single day. And our job is to do our best to make those clear and to make those steps obvious. So we have to focus. With this series, we've already seen that the stakes are really, really high. So here's a question. Uh, Cole and I had a retreat a a while back, and, and we came up with, well, how would we know if we are focusing the way we believe that God has called us to focus as a church? And we came up with a few statements that said, you know what, if we're doing this, then I believe we're understanding what this means to focus. So let me share that with you. Here's the first one. I'll know that I'm focusing, and I'll know that the church, the church in Malvern and Stuttgart Harvest Church are focusing when we can clearly explain to someone else our vision, values, and strategy. And so our goal is if we, know, if we can get to the point where you understand and could explain to someone else who we are as a church, what we're trying to do as a church, our vision, values, and strategy, then I believe that we have an idea that, yeah, we're, we have, we're on our way to focusing. Here's the next one. When we can clearly... Uh, no, that's that. I just read that. When we're more concerned about keeping the main things, the main thing, rather than just doing more. Um, As a church, we've already told you, we don't try to do everything. We're trying to do what we feel like in this season of our existence are the most important things we can do and trying to do our best to do those better and better and better. Um, Anytime someone comes to me and they say, you know what I think you should do? Why don't you, or have you ever thought about doing this? And my first initial radar is to measure that against our focus. In my head, what I'm thinking is, is this just something more to do as a church? And it might be a really good thing. But if in doing more, we do the most important things... uh, at a lesser quality, then maybe that's not what we need to do. So those things roll through my mind. So when the entire church begins thinking the same thing, when we're more concerned about keeping the main things the main thing rather than just doing more, then I believe we have begun to focus. Here's another statement when we're willing to stop doing some good ideas even if they've become a tradition so that we can focus on the best ones, the clearest ones, the most effective next steps. In other words, we're willing to say, you know what? Maybe we don't need to do that anymore so that we can do better right here. And when we begin thinking like that as a church family, then I I believe we can see that we've begun to focus. Because you know what? The stakes are so high. If we're going to connect people with Jesus and we're going to continue to see them grow more and more and more, if we're going to help them walk away from shame, if that's what we're going to do, and walk away from the fear that shame creates and the pain that shame creates, then we realize we have to stay focused in what we do as a church. And we can't just continue to add and add and add ministries and events and ministries and events unless they fall into that focus. Because shame is heavy. And the stakes are very high. And because shame keeps us afraid and it keeps us separated from the very one thing that God has left here in this place that could help stop shame. And that's God and that's his community called a church. So that is why we must stay focused as a church. Now, let's add something else to that focus. So here's the next thing. We have to be really careful not to pick um, some favorite things that we do and just stick with that and just say, yeah, you know what? I really like this, and we're going to stick with it for 20 years. You know, I like the way this is. I like the way that it's just kind of who we are. We're going to stick with that for 20 years. It worked then. I think it's going to work for 20 years. I think it'll work forever. We have to continually look for ways to improve and to do better. Every, every Monday, as Cole and I, we, we spend Mondays together in planning. Every Monday on our list is what didn't work, and we can't leave it there. We always have to answer it. If we're going to bring it up, we have to have an answer, and then we say What might help make it better? And we desire that uh, to be something that our entire church does, always looking for ways to improve, always asking ourselves, how can I do that better? How can we communicate this love of Jesus better, even in just our conversations? And here's part of this. We have to be willing to change anything the only thing that doesn't change is the scripture. It's God's word. But everything we do, we have to be willing to change anything. Because at the church in Malvern and where Cole is today at Stuttgart Harvest Church, we believe this. As we grow, we change. As we grow, we change. I'm going to have Bryce put that on the screen. because Oh, you did. <coughs> did you put it up there? As we grow, we change. Yeah, 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 he did. As we grow, we change. And and look at that note right behind it. Because we believe in that process of change, we will, over the course of time, become more and more and more effective. I'm hoping that next year, we're going to be more effective at what we're doing than we were this year. Because we want to be constantly evaluating and constantly creatively innovating So that we can be more effective. That's our desire. Our environments. They are continually changing and improving. That's our our goal, and that's what we want. I think Paul gives us a really great picture of what this looks like, and it's from his own life and his own perspective. And and God led him to write this down in this letter to the Corinthians. And Paul knew as he was writing this that this was coming from God, and this was was Scripture in the making. Listen to what he wrote and described in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. He said, even though I'm free... Of the demands and the expectations of everyone. In other words, he's saying, you know what? I I report to God and to Jesus Christ who was crucified and rose again and defeated all of this for me. He said, so I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone. I have, he says, though, in spite of that, I have voluntarily become a servant to any And all in order to reach a wide range of people. Now, I want you to understand. Paul is saying that there are different kinds of people in different kinds of places. And specifically, Paul is writing something here to the Corinthians. And he knew that the people of Corinth were different than the people who were living in Ephesus. And the people who were living in Ephesus are different than the people who are living in Rome. And he also knows that the people living in Stuttgart are a little bit different than the people living in Malvern. And the people living in Malvern are a little bit different than the people living in, um, let's say, Hot Springs. That there are different people, different kinds of people in different kinds of places. And Paul says, I'm doing what I do in order to reach a wide range of people. And then he describes them, religious people. And and he's not saying followers of Jesus, people who are uh, into the trappings of religion. He said, and also non-religious people. He said, also meticulous moralist. He said, I'm trying to reach out to those folks. And he said, I'm doing some other things to reach out to the loose living moralist. In verse 22, he says, I'm trying to reach out to those who are defeated. And then the demoralized, he says, whoever, whoever it is. And he he makes an important note here. I didn't take on their way of life. He says, this didn't change me. And I want you to, to notice how much This mirrors what Jesus did for us. He jumped right in the middle of those who were religious and those who were non-religious, the meticulous moralists, the loose living uh, immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever, Jesus jumped right in the middle of all those lives. And Paul is saying, that's what I'm doing too. That's what I'm doing too. And it doesn't change me because he said, I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world, and I tried to experience things from their point of view. Does not that sound like what Jesus did (laughs) when he put on the flesh and blood of us and he jumped into the middle of this creation to experience this life from our perspective of the creation? And Paul says, I'm trying to, he said, I'm not Jesus, but I'm trying to get in there and introduce them to Jesus by getting into their world. And to see it from their point of view. Then he goes on. He says. I've become just about every sort of servant. And I love how he continues. To think of himself as a a servant. The man who wrote uh, under God's leadership. Most of the new covenant. Who put the words to pen and on paper. That guy. Continues to see himself as a servant. And you know why? No questions why. Because Jesus did. Saw himself as a servant. He said, I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts. So here's why. In my attempts to lead those I meet into a God saved life. Do you see how Paul is willing to change? his methods according to the culture he's trying to communicate with. Do you see that? That is why we can't lock on to something that we think is really, really good and do it for the next 20 years. Because we will miss at some point, something will change the culture will change, the generation will change, and we won't be able to communicate the way they need us to communicate if we don't change the way we communicate. Paul gave us a beautiful example of that. So here's a question for us. I need to ask myself this, and I would encourage you to ask yourself this. Are we continually, as a church, continually evaluating and making better everything we do? The way Paul said that he did it. And so here we go again to some statements. How would we know if we are changing the way we believe we need and are called to change as a church. Well, here's one way. I don't have it on the screen for you, but just listen to this. I believe that we will see that and and we will be living that if I evaluate what I participate in, and this would be a statement for you. You evaluate what you participate in with Stuttgart Harvest Church or the church in Malvern, and you come up with a list to help you do that better next time? Let me say that again in just other, other words. We encourage everyone who serves on a ministry team, which is who do we encourage to serve as a ministry partner on a ministry team on Sundays? We encourage everybody to serve in some way. And so here would be the question. As you serve, would you, are you evaluating what you're doing and how it's working and how it's being communicated, how it's being received, how it's functioning? Would you evaluate that and then would you decide, here's a list of things that I need to change and here's how I'm going to try to do that so that we can be more effective For each thing that I'm involved with, and this would be a statement we want you to to grasp. For everything you're involved with, would you look for ways to engage with other people in extraordinary ways to help whatever next step is appropriate to help that be obvious and clear? I already said we all have next steps, every single one of us. Here's another way that I know we're living this if we begin to take this core value into our lives. It would be in my mind, in your mind, and my actions and your actions, we would say that effectiveness is more important than traditions. Let me say that again. When we begin to believe that being effective in what we're doing is more important than traditions, then I believe that we are beginning to take on this core value that says, yes, change is important. And here's why, because we've already said it, the stakes are so high. If we're going to help people connect with Jesus, and if we're going to see them grow more and more and more as they follow Jesus, and if we want to be as a church, as a group of people called the church part of the process of helping that person walk away from shame, we must keep changing. If we don't keep changing, if we don't keep improving, every week, every year will be less and less effective. And one day we'll just realize we've got to close the doors because we'll be less and less effective. The stakes are so high because shame and our shame attendant, they keep us afraid and they keep us separated from the very one who can help bring healing and stop the shame, God and this community he has left behind called the church. So let me summarize. We must focus, all right? We've got to stay focused in what we do. Secondly, we must change for effectiveness. We must continue to change. And then the next thing's coming up, but I want to preface it. We can't be satisfied. We can't be satisfied and say, you know what? I think, we've, I think we've done it. You know, we got a church started here. Uh, there's, a, there's a church in, in Stuttgart, and they're meeting right now. And, man, I, I think we're, we're doing pretty good. We can be satisfied. Stuttgart's there. Cole's over there doing that. He'll be over here next week. Um, Malvern, we got a church here in Malvern. And, uh, man... pretty good we we can we can be content but the reason why we can't be is very simple according to what we see in scripture this is what we're supposed to be doing and here's where that next word comes in we multiply we multiply I want to give you a a, a glimpse of this multiplication in its very early days. We see it. It was recorded by uh, the physician Luke. And he was recording what was happening the days after and years after the resurrection. And here's what Luke says. Acts chapter 13. One day. As these men, it gave us a list of men before that. As these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. So here's what the Holy Spirit pressed upon their hearts. Dedicate Barnabas and Saul. This is the guy also known as Paul. Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work uh, uh, that he has for them. I just want to make a side note. Some places, God actually changed people's names. With Saul... He was Saul and Paul. God didn't really change his name. So that's why you see it written Saul there. Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work I have for them. In other words, God says, I've got something special that I'm going to be doing here. And I want you to take Barnabas and I want you to take Saul. And you're going to dedicate them to be a part of this. So after some more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and they sent them on their way. And this was the beginning of this whole thing called church starting which is what started a church in Stuttgart, and it's what started a church in Malvern. It's this whole thing, this whole process of multiplication and starting churches. In other words, for us, with this understanding that God has called us to multiply in many different ways, we're going to talk about that in just a moment, we cannot be satisfied to keep things to our four and no more. To our two, And that'll do. Stuttgart, got got some followers of Jesus meeting there and some people who are investigating Jesus, great. Malvern, got some followers of Jesus here and some people investigating Jesus here, great. R2, that'll do. And according to what we understand in the scripture with multiplication, no, that, that won't do. We have to reach out to other people. Now, here are the ways... That we believe God has called all churches and us specifically, speaking of our church, to multiply and to grow. Here's the first one we have to grow and multiply our serving teams. In other words, right now we have folks who are with uh, the school age children in this room, and we have folks who are with um, the preschool age children over here in this room, and we have to continue to grow those ministry teams so that. Those people who are serving in there can make their way in here and they can be a part of what's happening here. And then some other people go in there and they serve to give them and so we rotate through. We grow our ministry team. Same thing with uh what Robbie does back here at the back. And he sets up, he opens the doors up and he greets folks in line. We've got to grow that ministry team so we have more people who are doing that alongside Robbie. Same thing in the front here. Today Chris usually does that, but Chris is uh, on vacation today, and he's out. And so we have people who need to be a part of that team, and, 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 and we grow those ministry teams. Same thing with uh, name tags and, and uh, passing out worship packs, and all these things grow and multiply. So we believe that we grow and mar- multiply our serving teams. Here's the next thing. We believe that we need to grow and multiply our small groups. Right now we have a, a school-age small group, we've got a student small group, and we have uh, an adult small group. And before long... We'll be starting another small group. We'll have two adult small groups. And then someday we'll have three adult small groups and then four adult small groups. And they'll grow and they'll multiply. We believe that that's what we're called to do is to multiply those groups. Here's the next thing. We believe that we need to grow and multiply churches. When God says, do that next or do that again, whenever that is, I have no idea. But whenever he plants that upon our hearts to say, yeah, I I want you to do that again then we need to be willing to say, okay, it may be out of my comfort zone and it may not be what I'm ready to do. I don't think I'm ready or it may not be my timing, but God, if you said go do it, then we need to go do it. Here's the next thing. To grow and multiply followers of Jesus as we keep telling them and as he keeps calling them, we just need to be faithful. To always be investing into the lives of the people around us the people that we meet at Walmart and the people we meet in the restaurant, the people that we already know and the people who are in our families and the people who become our friends, the people who we come into contact with, always in the process of lovingly, kindly, compassionately escorting them toward Jesus so that we can grow and multiply followers of Jesus. So we have to keep telling them. We absolutely Until Jesus comes back, we can't stop until he decides to call an end to it. And that's when we stop because the stakes are too high. So here's what we say about multiplication this is it multiplication. We were born to grow. We were born to grow. All living things, they grow. We grow bigger by multiplying Christ followers and multiplying groups and multiplying churches as God says to do that. Because we understand this, the church is not here for us. But we, the church, we are here for the world. And we believe that. So here's the question. If God were to say, you know what, I think we need to start another church. I haven't heard him say it yet. I haven't heard him say, pull the trigger yet. But if he did, if he did, would your heart say, makes me uncomfortable, but I'm on. Makes me uncomfortable, makes me scared, makes me a little fearful, but I'll be a part. I'll help some way. Here's the next one. If you're in a small group, which we hope you are, how many, who do we want in small groups at uh, the Church of Malvern and Stuttgart Harvest Church? The answer is this, everyone. Every single person who walks through that door, we want them in a small group. And so my question is this: um, When will your small group when will your small group decide it's time for us to grow into two groups? And here's the third question: Who is a searching person that you are currently serving toward Jesus Christ? because he desires us to multiply and the stakes are so high. So here's our statements. We, I I don't think I have these on the screen either, but I will know that I'm multiplying when I do this. Here's the first one. I constantly have someone not deeply involved in a church somewhere else who is sitting with me on Sundays. I'll know that I've, Understand that concept, and I'm a part of it. Here's the next statement. I'm willing to help new groups start by joining a newly forming group and helping to lead that group in some way. Doesn't have to be the facilitator, but somehow helping. And here's the third statement. I'll know I'm participating. I'll know I have bought into this understanding of multiplication when I'm willing to participate in a long-distance new church launch team somehow in some way. You see, shame is heavy. And shame is a liar. And that shame keeps us afraid of the very thing called the church that could be part of the healing process of shame. But it keeps us afraid. And that's why we can't afford to get casual as a church and we can't just get comfortable and then we can just be lazy as a church. We have to keep taking that light of Jesus straight and shining that into the shadows where shame lives and calling shame out. And we have to keep pointing people with everything we do and everything we say toward Jesus because Jesus said that he came and he died and he scorned shame. And everything that we do, we must do it lovingly and we must do it tenderly and kindly. You see, some of this shame... That we experience has been heaped upon us from someone else. And we didn't do anything, and yet something they did to us or how they've treated us or hurt us has heaped shame upon us. And we experience shame sometimes because of what somebody else did to us. But then sometimes, some of the shame we experienced, well, it comes from a different source. That shame could be heaped upon us from the evil one because of something we did do. And he takes the opportunity to load us up with shame because we did sin and we did fall short. And I want you to know we have a great work that we have to do as a church and that we feel called to do. And it always involves some life that's been walking one direction and something happens and they turn their lives a new direction and they go another way. And and it's not really because of something we've said. It's not really because of something we did in a group or because of an outreach project we did. It's not because of that. It's not a song that we sang. No. Make no mistake about this. At the church in Malvern, at Stuttgart Harvest Church, we know that lives are changing direction because of one very clear reason, and that is that 2,000-plus years ago, God himself put on the body of a Judean day laborer, and he did something amazing. That's the reason that thing that he did is so unbelievable that it changed the entire world and it can take someone whose life is going one direction and headed one place, destructive, and it can turn that life around and they can head a new way. I wish that I had time to break this down, but let me promise you this. That's what we're going to talk about the entire month of April. And I hope that you'll be here for that. That event, that one thing that happened 2,000 years ago that changed the course of of our entire lives in this world. And here's the thing. It is what you choose to do with that one event that will change everything. When everything that we do as a church is about seeing people who were moving one direction with their life, began to recognize that they've been going the wrong way, which is away from Jesus. And they began to choose to turn around and to walk toward Jesus and to begin following him. And as they do that, they're walking in God's spirit. When we see that happen, I was going this way, And something happened and I began going this way. When we do that, we as a church can then say, mission accomplished. We're doing exactly what God called us to do. Because shame is heavy. And when we try to do this alone, we end up in this cycle of shame because that's what the evil one wants. He wants to keep us isolated from other people, disintegrated from other people, disintegrated from God. And if he can keep us alone and separated and isolated, then he can keep that cycle of shame going. But that's not what God has called us to do as a church. His plan for us is to be a part of breaking that cycle, to be a part of the healing of shame. And it always involves, by God's design, outside people from ourselves. It's not something that happens alone. There's a word for this. It's called repentance. And the word really just means in simplicity to turn around, change directions, repentance. And there's something about repentance, changing directions in life that is not just me saying, oh, I need to change directions. There's this outside force that says and begins to penetrate my heart saying, ooh, a direction change is needed. I need to go another way. Sometimes that's God's spirit. And God's spirit, that outside force, comes in and says, it's time to turn, turn around. Time to go the other direction. You've been going this way. This is the wrong way. Time to turn around. And sometimes God's spirit sends another person from the church From a church body, a body of people called the church. And that person is part of that process of that life turning around. It's an influence that, that helps us to switch tracks. I was going this way on this track, but I need to turn around and go this way an influence that comes and really kind of finds me where I am, whatever, I'm, whatever direction I'm headed in, it finds me, and that influence reaches out to me, and it says this. Hey, Harley, Harley, listen, stop, pause right, right now where you are, and listen, I, I want you to know this. Come follow me. I, I, I know the way out. I've been there. I've been on this path. I know the way out of that. Come follow me. Follow me this way. I know, how to, I know how to go from here. Follow me out. And so with that in mind, we need to pause. And it's what we do in that pause that matters so much. Because healing from shame requires the presence of something, someone outside of us. Much like God came walking in the garden for Adam and Eve. And then he showed up again. Jesus as God. Putting on the flesh and the bone and blood of man. And he did that to say, hey, wait, 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 wait. I know you've been headed this way. But I know the way out. Come follow me. So that's what it means for us as a church. It's quite simple. We must keep focused on our vision. We must be willing to change for effectiveness. And we must be willing to multiply in as many ways as possible. All so we can do what Paul did. We can go to those people in whatever culture they're in and we can find them. And I know from my own experience, when I'm in a shame pit, for me, I don't have what it takes to have compassion for myself, much less to have compassion for anyone else. And in that moment, I need someone to come find me and say, hey, hey, Harley, 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 wait, 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 wait. I know where you're headed, and I know what's at the end of that road. Listen, I know the way out, but you've got to be vulnerable you got to be open. you got to share with me your shame. And I can walk you out towards Jesus. We have to be known and deeply known. And in order to do that, we have to become vulnerable. Turning my attention, my brain, we talked about this in week one, my neural network away from shame and what it's trying to do in my life. And to turn it towards Jesus. Where I can be loved. And I can be cared for. And I want you to know this. Even Jesus himself. When Jesus went to the cross. Jesus did not go to the cross alone. He went to the cross with the father. And he went to the cross with the spirit. And he had a handful of followers right there with him too at the cross. He did not go alone. And even Jesus, when he goes to that cross, he puts on our shame. He didn't go by himself. And we desperately need other people to come find us and say, hey, 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 I I understand. I understand that cycle of shame you're in. Come with me. Follow me. And we can walk out of this. And we must be a church that is primed And ready, always ready to find other people when they're in trouble. All because of shame. We don't have the luxury of losing focus. And we can't just pick what we like and say, I'm going to stick with that and we're going to do that moving forward. We're just going to do it the way we like it. And we can never become satisfied with just A gathering, a room full here and a room full there. And forgetting about all the others who are out there. Because the stakes are too high. So it all comes down to this today. Here's our our next steps. We're going to ask you to help us do these things. Will you help us do these things? Will you join us at the church in Malvern? Much like what they're doing right now in Stuttgart as they are joining together with this very same conversation, will you join us here by investing your life deeply into this gathering for the long haul? To not say, I'm just going to dip my toe in the water and I'm just going to kind of stay on the, on the outskirts and I'm just going to be kind of randomly, kind, partially involved. Would you invest your life deeply here with us for the long haul? And in doing so, we need you to help us Do everything that we feel like God is calling us to do. We need you to help us be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this area. Will you help us do it? So here's the next step. We all have a next step. If if you are not yet on a serving team, that's the next step. You need to be on a serving team. Sign up today on that connection card. Say, I I, want to serve. Put me in, coach. Put me where you need me. If... You're not yet in a small group. That's your next step. Be a part of a small group. And then, if you're serving, if you're part of a small group, then this is the next step we only talk about maybe once, twice a year. And I'm going to mention it right here. We won't mention it again for months and months and months. If you're serving, if you're in a small group, then your next step maybe for you is to become a covenant partner with the church to say, I'm going to plant my life deeply. I'm going to covenant with you as a church to to see God's purpose happen here in this area. And if you'd mark your connection card, you will get information this week about that process, that journey. It's a self-guided journey. We don't lord it over you. It's a self-guided journey to help you understand everything that we're about as best we can, as best we can communicate it at this stage of where we are and become a covenant partner with us. Every one of us has a next step today, and I hope that you will take that step with us. Now, join me as we talk to our Heavenly Father. God, thank you for this day. I am so grateful that you have given us uh, a glimpse of what you want us to be as a church. Not as a building. This church is not a building. We don't even own this building. We rent it. The church is not a building. It's a body. It's a people. It's alive. God, help us stay focused. Help us keep changing under your direction and leadership so that we can remain effective. And God, may we multiply our serving teams and multiply our groups and multiply followers of Jesus and when the time comes and you say it God may we multiply churches God I I leave all these results up to you and I ask that you would be at work in each of our lives in the name of Jesus we ask these things amen